Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. Many believers have an image of what a Christian is supposed to look like and be like. We end up feeling like a hypocrite for not measuring up, or worse, like we can't be the real us. Pastor Gary continues his study of the book of Hebrews and finds answers to how we can really rest in Christ. My subject this morning is the promise of rest. I don't know if you are experiencing spiritual restlessness or not, or if you're looking for something, something in your Christian life that would sort of transform it because you have this idea, this image in the back of your mind, what the Christian life is supposed to be. And sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you wonder. You know, you come to church, you sit in a pew and, and, and somehow we have this image of what a Christian is supposed to be like, how he's supposed to act. And sometimes you just feel like a hypocrite. Or maybe you just feel like you're an actor or you're pretending. You're pretending to be what you think God wants you to be. And somehow, it never seems like you, like you can be the real you. It's supposed, you know, you're supposed to be like everybody thinks you're supposed to be like as a Christian. And some of you have heard all of your Christian life. You need to do more. You need to be more. You need to love more. You need, need to witness more. And you just never felt that you could just be you. Maybe you're afraid that people won't like you or something. Well, we're going to look into the book of Hebrews to see if we can find some of the answers and how we can rest and relax in Christ. I don't know if you're actually resting and relaxing in Christ or if you feel that you're falling short of living out the Christian life and there's something that you need to do or should do to be who you think you should be. But Hebrews was written to the Christian Jews. They say it was written somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. At that time, there was a great persecution. There was social, there was physical uh, persecution. Families were divided. Um, actually, Christianity was an offshoot of the Jewish church. And so whenever you have an offshoot, you have problems. And at that time, and it's still in the Middle East today. When I was over, I was over in Israel some time ago, several years ago, and uh, if you were caught proselyting the Jewish people, it was still five years in prison if you were just trying to give them Bible studies. And so it divided families. And I mentioned to you that I have a, a very close, uh, he's like a son to me. He was my partner for many years, but... Um, he was Egyptian, and uh, 
We, uh, we had a business in Egypt that we, I would go over there every three months or so. And uh, this, he, he introduced me to this lady over there that was studying to be a Christian. And um, I asked her if there was going to be any difficulty in her family. And, and she said, no. She said, I don't think so. She said, um, maybe, uh, maybe an uncle would try to kill me, but I don't know the immediate family would. But she wasn't sure. And I said, really? In this day and age, that still goes on. And so there was a great persecution when the early church started. Families were divided. They wouldn't talk to each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. And so the real message of Hebrews is that Christianity is superior to Judaism. Now, no Jew wants to hear that, but Christianity is superior. And it was because Christ is supreme and is completely sufficient for our salvation. The first chapter of Hebrews shows that, Jew, that Jesus is greater than the angels, that Jesus was greater than Moses. And what an insult to the Jewish people there that Jesus was greater than Moses. And then they said that he was superior to the Old Testament priesthood. And it is this book that links God's saving power to God's creative power. The power that brought this universe into being is the same power that removes our sins. Salvation is a door to trusting and relaxing in Christ. If you believe that you are totally forgiven, and I hope and pray that by this time most of us all believe it, that we live in a state of forgiveness. No sooner do we sin than it is forgiven before we can ever get anything out of our mouth. It is forgiven and forgotten. We live in that state. If you believe that, then you can let go of your past. If you believe that, you don't have to hide stuff anymore. You can be who you are. The message that most Christians have heard through the years is, I never can live up to it all. The message is that I need to do more, be more, love more, witness more. It seems like I can never live up to that standard. And the world is constantly offering aid to improve us. We have so many self-improvement programs today that it's unbelievable. And the church, I'm sorry to say, has caused many to project an image of them having it all together. And so <clears throat> how do they have that? What brings, what gives them that feeling? Well, it's 
studying the Bible every day. It's praying every day. It's having quiet time every day. It's witnessing whenever you possibly can. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're doing it to be right and stay right with God, you're making a huge mistake. I'll tell you what it'll do for you. It will cause you to get into a mode of what people should do to live out the Christian life. And when people come to you and they have a problem, you're going to look at that like a lot of super saints. I call them super saints. What they do. You go to them and you tell them that you have a problem and you maybe want them to pray for you. And what do they do? They think they have the answer. And they say with that holy voice, are you abiding in Christ? Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you doing all of this, these things? Well, I have news for those. Nobody wants to be you. Nobody. There are some Christians who are always right. They have a hard time admitting that they're wrong. Anyone can quote scripture. Anybody can. It's not always what the Bible says. It's what the Bible means when it says it. And I have news for those who seem to think they know it all. Nobody wants to be you. Nobody. But God says that he wants you to be you. That's what God says. In John 20, 31, the Bible says this. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God's offer to humanity is life. That's all he offers you. And why does he offer his life to you? Because you were born spiritually dead. And no matter what our problem is, without spiritual life, we are lost. And our deepest need is to have a new life which is only in Christ Jesus. So let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 4, 1, and 2. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. 
We are talking here about the Old Testament people, the Israelites, and what they went through to reach the promised land. They heard some good news. They heard the good news. But yet it didn't profit them anything because they did not believe it. Today, the Bible says that we are united to Christ. The Bible says that we are one spirit with him. The Bible says that Christ lives in us. But I can guarantee you, it will profit you nothing unless you believe it. We are no different than they were in the Old Testament. Humanity is still the same. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about the excellence of love. I don't know that I've ever performed a marriage without somehow finding myself in 1 Corinthians 13. It calls, it calls the excellence of love the fruit of the Spirit. It says, as you start reading 1 Corinthians 13, um, it, it starts with, you can speak in tongues. Um, you can say you have the gift of prophecy. You can know, know all the mysteries of the Bible. And you can have all the knowledge of the Bible. And you can have an abundance of faith. But if you do not have love, you do not have anything. Wow. You can have all of these, all of these things, all of these. And yet if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Love. Where does it come from? Well, some say, well, from God. Because the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. So it's got to come from God. So Hebrews says that we are going to enter into this rest. We're going to, when we find Christ and he's our personal savior, and we know that we're forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, future sins. Once we comprehend that the sin issue is over, that's when we can relax. That's when we can rest. If we have to keep up with our sins, we'll never relax and we'll never rest. So, we're talking about spiritual rest. Not physical rest, but spiritual rest. If we go back to the beginning of Genesis, where God created Adam and Eve, he created everything, then on the sixth day, at the end of the sixth day, he created man. Now, there's a reason for this. The first day of their life, they were to enter into a Sabbath rest. God created man to live in his rest. But what happened? Well, sin came. Satan deceived 
Adam and Eve, and instead of believing that God had finished and completed his work and that they were complete, they couldn't buy into it somehow. They listened to Satan and Satan told them that, oh, no, no, no. If you only, if you, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. And so the, there they were, Adam and Eve with a good heart, a heart for God. They thought, well, maybe it would be beneficial if we knew good and evil. And then we'd always do good. That's good logic. But instead of trusting that they were complete in Christ, that they were complete. Our problem is, I'm not sure we believe that we are complete in Christ. And so like Adam and Eve, they decided that they would manage their own life. They would be able to choose and they made the wrong choice. And by not believing God, they brought into this world a spiritual problem. It was called sin. After 4,000 years, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of human flesh to solve the problem with sin. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that, they, that the children of Israel had many covenants with God. All that you say that we, we should do, we'll do it. And they never were able to live up to that. They were given a book of laws that had 613 laws, and within that book was the Ten Commandments as well. 613 laws, and they had this idea that, Lord, we'll do it. We'll do it. And they never did do it. And so Jesus Christ came to this earth in the form of human flesh to solve the problem. Now, in the New Testament, God's offer is whosoever will. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was whosoever will. It embraced every human being that would be born, that was born, and would be born on the face of this earth. And then the Bible says here, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this is the promise that God made to us. That as messed up as this world is, is all the circumstances that hit us. He said, if you come to me, if you trust me, I will give you rest. And then we read how Christ took our iniquities, all of our sins, went to Calvary, went by himself, didn't ask anybody to come with him, went by himself, Carried the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. And shed his blood for the atonement of your sins and my sins. And from the cross, he said, it is finished. 
If you read Genesis, and we Christians know that it was Jesus Christ who called the world into existence. This is what Hebrews, Hebrews defines it so beautifully. After he created everything, he said everything is perfect. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. Adam and Eve, perfect. Everything was perfect. And he says his creative, what he intended for creation to be, he said, it is finished. Everything is perfect. And then 2,000 years later, or 2,000 years ago, I should say, our salvation was worked out on the cross. And he proclaimed, it is finished. What was finished? The sin issue. The sin issue was finished at the cross. He died for the sin of the world. There is nobody who's going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be only unbelief. The sin issue was settled 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Works and work belongs to God, not us. God prepared for your material needs as well as your spiritual needs, your life, your salvation, your eternal home has all been prepared for you. He has not asked you to do one thing. He prepared it all for you. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. He prepared everything for us, everything. The divine rest that the Bible speaks about satisfies this longing that we are tempted to have in knowing that God, our Heavenly Father, loves me, accepts me unconditionally. Now, that word unconditionally, that's what it means. It means unconditionally. It's not how you perform in life. It's not what you agree on or whatever. It's none of those things. He has accepted and loved you unconditionally. And it's only that unconditional love that gives us the capacity. We have to experience it first. Then it gives us the capacity to love everyone. Everyone. Because he first loved us. And it was demonstrated on the cross just how much he loves us. Christians rest in the whole idea that our work doesn't mean anything in, in our salvation. It's been all done for us. And that's what brings us joy. That's what brings us every day when we get up, brings us life. 
It's the life in Christ. How do we satisfy God? We please God when we believe in the finished work of Christ. Being godly is resting. I mean, being godly is not necessarily reading your Bible, not necessarily witnessing, none of those things. Being godly is resting in Christ. Resting in what he has done for you. How much he loves you. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of spiritual rest. Heavenly mindedness. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same examples of disobedience. Disobedience here in Hebrews in the contents of four in chapter four, disobedience is unbelief. That's what it is, is unbelief. Now, I want you to keep in mind that at creation, God did not rest because he was tired. The rest of God is the expression of a perfect work that he has done. So in Hebrews, it's drawing a parallel of what God, when he ceased doing his creative work to Christ ceasing to do the work of redemption. The rest of God and in Christ is a pattern of what our earthly life may become. We relax. We rest. We do this by believing the gospel. God's grace was given to relax us. You rest because your sins are forgiven and forgotten. They're buried into the depths of the sea, the Bible says, and they'll be remembered no more. You rest because you are free from the law. You have Christ living in you. At your deepest core, you are everything God says you are. The Bible says that you are holy, you are blameless, you are perfect forever. At your deepest core. Not up here, not where all this stuff goes through our heads. Not up there. But it's who you are. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. You must be born again. And once you are born again, then at your deepest core, you are everything God says you are. So you can rest. You can relax. I mean, this is not talking about a lazy boy chair, a lazy boy religion. This is talking about spiritual rest. 
You rest because you received the gift of eternal life. One day I'm going to preach on eternal life because I think there's a big misunderstanding of eternal life. Eternal life is a person. It's not an extension of your life. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have Christ living in you. Christ is eternal. You and I are not. Christ is. And if you have Christ, you have eternal life. You're not waiting to die to receive it. You already have it. You have eternal life now. You rest because you are a partaker of his divine nature. That's what the Bible says. You can relax because Christ is in you. You are partaking of his divine nature. You can rest because he promised you he would never leave you nor forsake you. He promised you that. I think it's time we just take him at his word and believe him. So we can really rest. So we can really relax. It's a rest of sonship. And it has nothing to do with us helping God out by performing a certain way. We are no longer trying to add to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. There are no more sacrifices to offer. There's no more pleading and begging God to erase all those black marks that we have in the books of heaven, all of our sins. There's no more fear of punishment or guilt we are free from that. Christ has freed us. What we have today is just a heart of thankfulness. That's, that's, that's all we have now. We're going to go home. We don't know when, but we're going to go home. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Now, this week, we're faith. We're looking at Thanksgiving, and we'll be blessing the food and everything. It should be great. It's a good reminder how thankful we should be. But it's an awesome time to just dwell on how wonderful God is to us, what he has done for us, what he's doing in us. Now, I don't know what you're going through personally. But I do know one thing, that we're all in Christ and we're all learning and we're all growing. And I will guarantee you something. You are changing. You are changing. Your attitude toward God is changing. You're seeing more of the love of God than perhaps you ever did, saw in your life. And it's going to cause you to love him more. 
And it's going to cause you also to love others more. And that is the proclamation of the gospel. It's not the four spiritual laws. It's whether you've embraced the love of Christ. Whether you have Christ living in you. Whether that is your hope of glory. We're, <clears throat> we're talking about relaxing and resting. There's a, I'm sort of a, a strange person when it comes to uh, um, setting an environment. In my home, I live alone. And in, in my home, I have these candles. I love candles. And I get all the candles lit and everything. And, and um, I began to think about how awesome God is. And it's knowing, it's, it's knowing that God of this universe, he is a father who loves us and accepts us exactly the way we are. He knocked on our heart's door and we responded. Whatever we knew at that time, I've shared with you before, I knew practically nothing about it. But we responded. And he came in and cleaned house. He forgave us for all of our past. And then he assured us that if we would slip or fall or anything else, not to worry about it. So I got you covered. He says, I will not hold your sins against you. I know humanity. I know what you're going through. And I know that at your deepest level, you are everything that I want you to be. And so in John 1, 12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God even to those who believe in his name. Now, you have the right to proclaim that you're a child of God. You may say, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian. Oh, no, you're much more than that. You're a child of God. You're a child of the living God. He's embraced you just the way you are. You have a unique personality that nobody else has. <clears throat> and he came to you. And he knew that if you would just be you. And then allow him to work in, in, in you and through you. You'd be great. You'd be everything that he wanted you to be. Because you are unique. But he knew that obedience to the law would never cut it. Only grace, only grace can elevate you to the position that you're in. Only grace. The Pharisees, for thousands of years, they're still trying. They have tried to live up to the law. And there's a lot of born-again Christians who are doing the same thing. I've confessed that I've done it. I did it for 15 years as, as a preacher. 
You'd think I would know better. So I did it, and I know what it's like. And do you know what legalism does? It makes you proud. Legalism makes you proud if you're following all the rules. You feel good about it. But it makes you a little bit cold-hearted. It makes you quite a bit judgmental. And you have very little compassion for those who are not in Christ. Faith is a means of entering into his rest. God wants you to experience that Sabbath rest every single day of your life. What is rest like? It's loving without passion. It's being willing without decision or change. It's acting without effort. It's resting in all that he's done. There's only one way to experience the faith that pleases God, and that is to let go of the past. Quit worrying about the future and trust the Lord for today. And there's one more thing I'd like to say this morning. Don't be afraid of your weaknesses. Our weaknesses are merely daily reminders that we have Christ. I like what Paul said that he wanted to boast about his weaknesses. I've never felt that feeling that I wanted to boast about them. Why would he, did he want to boast about them? Because he knew that his very weakness was an opportunity to see how God works in his life. So if you're sitting there with a lot of weaknesses, praise the Lord. You're going to see a lot of changes in your life as you go through life. That's why the Bible says that we can rejoice in everything, even in our weaknesses. We don't have to run from our weaknesses. We can be who we are. We don't have to be somebody we're not. I know how frustrating it is to have weaknesses. I've certainly had my share. I, I know what it is. And you've heard me many times. One of my favorite scriptures are, is that I can do all things through Christ. Uh, another one, of course, is that uh, my grace is sufficient for you, you know. That's kind of a nice one to go to. When you're down and out, you say, well, I know God's grace is sufficient for me. I just wish he'd pick up the pace or he'd do something that helped me out a little bit more. But I'll buy into that, that, that his grace is sufficient. I've made a lot of mistakes I haven't prayed about a lot of things through life. I've been a Christian now for some 50 years. And so, better preacher for most of those years. And when it comes to making decisions, a lot of times I just make them. I don't really pray about them. I know I should. 
I want to. But sometimes I just react and I just do it. So of a lot of mistakes that I made, I can testify you to you this morning that no matter how many mistakes you make, all things work for good for those who love God. All things. We don't have to worry about whether we've made the right decision or the wrong decision. We don't have to worry about that. Because we rest in the promise that all things work for good for those who love God. And there's one thing that I know. We love God. I mean, that's why we're here. We come and hear what God has for us. Resting means leaving things in the hand of God. Trusting Christ to work out everything. And then the Bible says, this scripture, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Are you a new creature? Yes, you are. Do you act like it all the time? No, you don't. Are you? Yes, you are. God proclaims you are. Then the Bible says that we are to rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love this scripture. You know, people are always wondering, well, what is God's will for my life? Here it is. It's just as plain. God's will is for you to rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray about things. Pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing? Every time you get in your car and you drive, you, you see the beauty of God. Every time you, you see something wonderful happen, you're reminded how wonderful God is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. And there's one thing I've learned in the years that I have known, known the Lord is I can thank him for everything. Everything. Good, bad, doesn't make any difference. I can thank him for everything because I cannot believe how wonderful God is. I mean, it's, it's, an, awesome, it's an awesome thing for us to know the reality of God's love. That he's accepted us unconditionally. I mean, I don't, sometimes I don't think I comprehend that. But it's true. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for being what's, such an awesome God. We thank you for your love, a love we didn't deserve, a love that you put into our hearts. We thank you for that. We thank you for that new heart you gave us. We're thankful for everything because our life is only worth having you in our life. So we're 
we're thankful that you knocked on our door and we will be eternally thankful that we responded to you and we thank you. I pray that you'll continue to meet the needs of each one of us here. I pray that you will go with us now and help us to rejoice always. Help us to pray without ceasing. Help us to trust you and rest and relax in your great love. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.